Hello everyone and welcome to Cody's Car Conundrum. I'm your host, Cody Wagner. Here we'll discuss everything related to the wide world of automobiles, including culture, news, games, interviews, and events. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hey, hey everyone, welcome to this Sunday special today. I really, I can't believe I haven't gotten to this article actually. I thought I already did. Like, I really thought I already did. I even looked on my podcast, on the Podbean site to make sure that I didn't do it already. And apparently I haven't, but I'm pretty sure I did. But if I didn't, well, then this will be new for you. We are reading an article once again on Road and Track about what it takes to learn the Nürburgring. A gifted driver can learn any track with ease, but the Nürburgring demands something beyond innate skill. I'm very, very excited to read this article. I read, actually, I read a little bit of it before starting the podcast. In fact, I read a little bit earlier today. And this looks like a really, really good article. I'm really looking forward to this story. It's also pretty long, so hopefully this won't be a terribly short Sunday special. But I, I love the Nürburgring. I was just playing a Seto, actually. A Seto Corsa yesterday. I didn't drive on the Nürburgring, but I, I thought about it and I really wanted to. And I always take my Viper, one of the Viper, like the GTS or maybe the TA. And God, that car is a riot on the ring. It's, it's difficult, but it's so much fun. So rewarding when you get it right. And so I'm really, I'm really, really excited to read this article to learn more about the ring and what it takes to get it right IRL. So anyway, enough babbling. Let's do that. This, this article was written by Jack Ruth on November 17th, 2017. He was the last man on the Norse Schleife and a faithful servant of the one true goddess who rules over the tarmac and steel within. It was more than 30 years ago, after the track had disappeared from the Formula 1 calendar, but long before the Godzilla GTR and the so-called production car records. Before the PlayStation brought a digitized version of the Nürburgring's old North Loop into millions of homes, before the lawsuits, before the shopping center and its empty storefronts, before the 99 mph per roller coaster that operated for a grand total of four days and then closed for good, before the Nürburgring was a sticker, before it was a brand. In those days, you found the ring by accident, or through word of mouth, or perhaps not at all. There was an old entry down near the turn 13 corner, mostly invisible from the road. A single marshal stood between you and the track. You handed him your ticket, and he punched a hole in it before waving you on. There were no flaggers, no safety workers, no yellow bongard truck to charge 200 euros for a 20-minute flatbed ride back to the pits. You were on your own in pretty much every sense of the phrase, among the drivers who still remembered and venerated the old track. The man is Ron Simmons, a successful Dutch touring car racer with an effortless command of multiple languages and an entrepreneurial bent. Simmons had fallen into the grip of an unusual but seductive idea, namely, that the recently introduced Alfa Romeo 75, known as the Milano on our shores, was the perfect car with which to tackle the Norschleife. He wasn't alone. A polyglot group of European alpha fanatics coalesced and began hanging out at the ring in the afternoons, running the blunt-faced sedan grill, sedans grill-to-tail at full throttle, daring one another to push harder, trailing a cloud of burning oil and suicidal Italian engine accessories. We were more or less alone out there, Simmons recalled, laughing seated in the office above his shop just a few hundred yards from the Norse Life's public entrance. Out front, there was a fleet of more than 50 cars, ranging from a humble Renault Twingo to a snarling, fully-caged 911 GT3 RS, all of them close to showroom fresh and sporting the livery of Simmons' RSR Nürburg operation. 
Tucked out of sight behind that building, however, Simmons keeps between 30 and 40 of the old alphas that served him and his friends in the early years, and which eventually formed the backbone of his driver coaching program, 75 Experience, which grew to become RSR. The alphas are worth money to somebody, but he won't sell. Too much emotion, too many memories. Most nights, we were alone on the track, Simmons said. It was very informal, very much a laid-back atmosphere. Sometimes the only few other drivers would show up and head out to do laps, and they didn't always make it back in. So at the end of the night, I would do a final lap for the local marshal to clear the track and make sure there was nobody broken down or crashed out there. Once I came back in and gave a thumbs up, the marshal would close up for the night and go home. Simmons was more than just the last man standing. He was one of the first drivers to understand the fundamental difference between the Norschleife and everywhere else. At most tracks, it's not uncommon for a first-rate professional racing driver or even a talented club shoe to be up to speed after a few to be a, to be up to speed after as few as a dozen laps. Experienced drivers have a library of corners in their head that can be rapidly adapt that can be rapid, rapidly adapted to serve the needs of the task at hand. If you are capable of setting lap records at Road America, for example, then you'll be just as capable of setting lap records at Sonoma Raceway. Once you've sussed out the pair of blind hills in the first half of the course, not at the ring. You could say that it is under the power or under the protection of an ancient Greek goddess. Her name is Nemozine, mother of the nine muses, and she is said to have power over remembering and forgetting. It is from her that we get the word mnemonic, meaning to aid the memory. Without the help of Nemozine, you won't set a bragging rights time at the ring. You won't come close. It doesn't matter how sharp a driver you are. It doesn't matter how capable your car is. The ring has more than a dozen blind, hill and, blind hills and corners. If you breathe off the throttle when you should have kept it pasted, you'll lose 10 to 20 seconds just like that. If you stay flat when you should have lift, lifted, you'll find yourself facing the Armco at 150 miles per hour or more. The rest of your lap will be on the yellow Bongar truck or in an ambulance. Your first task, therefore, is simply to remember what comes next. On a track that contains so many corners that there is no general agreement as to their number, Simon says about 170. Master that, and you'll be within a minute or so of your fastest possible time. Congratulations! That was the easy part. If you want to get that last minute, you'll have to do what Simmons and his friends did 30 years ago. Drive hundreds, perhaps thousands of laps, learning the ripples of the pavement the changes in traction over the surface patches, which curbs you can hit with abandon, and which ones will snag a wheel and pull you into contact with the rails before your throttle foot has time to relax. In other words, you'll have to serve Nemozine until she is satisfied. If you do it by yourself, the chances are high that you will eventually make a very expensive and potentially fatal mistake, which is where RSR Nurber comes in. If you insist, Simons will be happy to rent you the car of your choice and set you loose on the ring, but he would prefer that you also engage one of his coaches. If you have time and money to drive thousands of laps, then sure, do it yourself, he said. But if you're here for a short time and want to be fast, then you'll need help. The problem is that many drivers, particularly Americans, come over here not knowing how to get that help. I can relate. Eleven years ago, I made my first and only pilgrimage to the ring knowing nothing besides what I read on a couple of thoroughly non-authoritative websites. I rented a Mercedes-Benz SLK 200 from Avis in Cologne, followed a paper map to the Nürburgring, missed the entrance to the track half a dozen times, 
finally found the ticket machine, bought 10 laps, and proceeded to accomplish not very much in partly rainy conditions before calling it a day. I didn't even have a helmet. My best time was an unimpressive 9 minutes 14 seconds measured between the bridge after the pit lane exit and the gantry before the pit lane entrance. That hardly made me a ringmeister. But in at least one important respect, I managed to outdo many of my countrymen. Fairly frequently, Simmons noted, we get a call from American customers who have arrived in Nuremberg but cannot find the entrance to the track. Nuremberg, of course, is on the far side of Germany, more than four hours to the east. Much of the RSR operation has been assembled with English-speaking drivers in mind. Simmons provides plenty of English-language documentation, both on his website and on the RSR premises. And the majority of his, of his instructors are reasonably fluent in English, even if they don't have Simmons' mastery of it. As a consequence, RSR has a, high, has a high profile and an established reputation with drivers from the UK. Still, customers from the States have been few and far between. Enter Ross Bentley. In the 19 years since the publication of his first book, Speed Secrets, the affable Canadian has managed to build a sterling reputa reputation as a first-rate driver coach whose curriculum goes past the usual break here, turn their instructions to embrace everything from pre-race visualization skills to business advice. He now boasts an international roster of high net worth clients who are all too happy to put him on a first class flight so they can obtain the benefit of his wisdom at circuits from Silverstone to Suzuka. A few years ago, Simmons reached out to Bentley after reading one of his books and the two became fast friends. Shortly afterward, an American ring rat named Tom Roberts pitched Bentley, and I pitched Bentley on the idea of doing a guided trip to the track for American customers. Bentley would advise and prepare the drivers ahead of time, then travel with them to the ring where RSR would supply track time, rental cars, hotel rooms, meals, and instructors with Nürburgring knowledge. The resulting event, billed as a drive of a lifetime by Bentley's Speed Secrets operation, sold out within days via word of mouth despite a starting price of more than 5,000 euros, or about $6,000, not including airfare, with the potential to option it up to a price of 10 times higher. For 2017, Bentley expanded the program to 20 slots and made enrollment available at his entire, sorry, to his entire mailing list. Five days later, all the spots were gone. One of them, to my immense surprise, was taken by my wife, Charlie, known around the house and the track by the nickname Danger Girl. I'd really like to drive the ring, she said, and I trust Ross to keep me out of trouble. You should sign up as well. You might learn something. I don't need any coach to show me around the ring, I snapped. I've driven dozens of racetracks around the world, and I've stood on podiums. I could go by myself and figure it out. Before I knew it, I'd agreed to an ad hoc challenge. Danger Girl would participate in the complete Speed Secrets and RSR curriculum, while I would just show up and try my best without any help. I expected that my considerably greater experience as a driver and instructor would trump any amount of help she could get from Bentley and Simmons. Not only would this give us something to argue about at dinner for months, it would settle a question. Which matters more at the ring? Flexible skill or rot memorization? Or is, it that, or is that root? I'm not entirely sure. After some persuasion, Simmons and Bentley agreed to let me show up and stick my nose into their event. Still, when Bentley and I had dinner a few months before the trip, he tried in his gentle way to talk me out of it. Like any track, there are references that a driver can use to let them know exactly where they are, where the car should be positioned, and what drivers should be doing. Jack, the difference here is there are easily 10 times as many of those reference points spread out over 14 plus miles, 
and that takes a deliberate process to learn and memorize them all after you know what to look for. The biggest difference between the novice ring driver and the ring masters is the quantity and quality of those references. Simmons, on the other hand, was, was openly skeptical, if not contemptuous. It's not like any other track, he told me via phone. You need to learn it before you can go really fast. I laughed behind my hand at this, because I'd already arranged to stack the deck a bit. My wife would be driving a mostly stock Renault Megane RS265, provided by RSR. I, on the other hand, had a rocket ship. I was bringing an AK-47 to a knife fight, and the weapon in question was coming factory fresh from, from some noted gunsmiths in Heathel. The Lotus Evora 400 is one of the finest combinations of road car and track, tool, and track day tool ever devised. The SRT Viper ACR beats it around a road course, and the big bruisers from ANG have the edge in long distance comfort. But if you need to drive a few thousand round trip miles to a track day and enjoy the hell out of every moment, there's not much, if anything, that can beat the Evora 400. Except, that is, the brand new Evora Sport 410, which extracts a few extra horses from the supercharged V6, firms up the suspension, and ruthlessly adds, adds lightness via a slew of bespoke carbon fiber parts, special force wheels, and a flame-blued titanium exhaust. In the months before our trip, Danger Girl bought the recommended Xbox setup and drove the, number, sorry, drove the Norselifer night after night in a car computer, in a car computer modeled to match her, oh I see, in a car computer modeled to match her again. I drove one lap in the game, hit a wall, then went downstairs to order pizza. She sat down with a map of the track every evening and recited the, the turns in order. I went to Road Atlanta and ran out of fuel trying to win an 8 hour enduro. She studied the notes Bentley and Simmons had provided about uh, certain dangerous sections of the track, the bumps on the inside of the flat out, I can't even say that, corner, and the right way to enter each of the concrete carousel sections. I rewatched the last season of The Wire, you know, the annoying one where McNulty makes up the existence of a serial killer. On the plane trip over, Danger Girl quizzed me about the various corners and elevation changes. I got every question wrong. I was in no way worried about this. A quick warm-up day at Spa-Frankershaw on the way to the ring demonstrated the Sport 410's impeccable combination of power grip and sublime at the limit handling. I was convinced that any idiot could set record lap times in this electric green Lotus, self-included. It was all I could do to remain even vaguely humble as I sat down for dinner with Danger Girl and the rest of Bentley's customers. It was a surprisingly diverse group, including a 61-year-old woman with a debut edition Nissan GTR in her garage. Good God! That's awesome. At home and a former state senator who brought his older brother and his son with him to drive. I conceived an immediate affection for Ron Cohn, I hope I got that right, an aristocratic-looking former open-wheel and IMSA professional racer who walked away from the sport back in the 70s, but had recently started doing track days for fun. I'm 70 years old. This is how I stay active, he laughed. Cohn had chosen a modified V8-powered M3 capable of reaching 170 miles per hour on the main straight. Across the table, a powerfully built, purposefully bald fellow was holding court on his Porsche obsession. I've spent maybe $3.5 million on them in the past decade, Leon Lewis explained. I do 30 events a year in the US, but I'm moving here, so I figured I'd come up to speed. I'm looking to beat 8 minutes. His day job? International financial executive. His car for the ring? A fully caged GT3 RS. I've got a $15,000 deposit that I want to get back. I'll be fast, but safe. I asked him why he chose this group. Ross teaches visualization. Focus, he said. 
Ross teaches that you are in control of the car of the situation. We started the first morning lined up on the front straight for lead follow laps. Although the track was closed to the public for the week, our group of 18 drivers would be sharing the ring with more than a hundred boisterous Europeans, mostly from the UK, who were treating the event like a 48-hour party. They brought every sort of car imaginable, from a four-cylinder E30 BMW wagon to the expected flotilla of two Nissan GTRs to a lone Maserati MC12 Corsa. A, a surprising percentage of the vehicles had arrived on a trailer. The first clue that I was in trouble came when I, when I got dropped on the lead follow lap by a McGann. My non-trivial non experience of tracks around the world had combined with some rose-tinted memories of my 2006 ring trip to convince me that I have no trouble remembering which of the long, fast turns were flat out and which required a massive shovel the brakes to avoid an ambulance ride. I was wrong. Then the lead follow was over and it was time for the real thing. Be aggressive, I told myself, and I glued the Avora to the back bumper of a race livery GT3 RS on slicks. As I expected, the Little Lotus was able to hold its own with pretty much anything and everything. As long as I could see the road ahead, that is. In the long run to the same corner from the, from the one earlier that I couldn't pronounce, the Porsche got me just a bit as we, went off, as we went offline together to pass slower traffic. That was when I hit the bump. Intellectually, I knew that there was a big pavement wave to the inside of that curve because I'd heard Danger Girl nattering on about it during the flight. But I was in no way prepared for what would happen when I hit about 130, 130 miles per hour. The Avora went hard sideways in one direction, then the next, as I struggled to catch up. There was a blink from the dashboard, and then things settled down. I'd been stupid enough to approach the ring cold, but I hadn't been stupid enough to do it with stability control turned off. With a slight sigh and a shudder, I stepped hard on the brakes for the next left-hander. The GT3 RS was a speck in the distance. The rest of the day was more of the same. Everywhere I could see the track in front of me, I shaved time, but I was still holding brakes in... I was still braking in places where the cars around me were shifting into fifth gear. On my sixth and seventh lap, I looked in the rearview mirror and saw a white McGann with purple stripes. It was Bentley. Through the X mule i hope i got that right section and the lauda linkschnick hope i got that one right i dropped him confident in what was next at Bergwerk, i looked behind and saw an empty mirror but through kesselchen or kesselchen when i was cautiously trailing the brakes the reynolds nose appeared once more for the next nine kilometers we played the same game i'd drop him everywhere i had visibility then sheepishly find myself lifting where he was flat it wasn't until dottinger I can't figure out how to say that. Opened up onto the main straight that I was able to use the Avora supercharger to walk away. In the pits afterward, Bentley asked, did you have fun? Uh, yeah, I replied. In truth, I was furious. I'd use my in-car, I'd use my in-car video to check lap times. My best was just a touch under nine minutes. Easily 75 seconds off the Avora's potential pace. Bentley smiled, and in that moment, I caught a glimpse of the master motivator who effortlessly directs and coaches every, everybody from multimillionaire brain surgeons to European aristocrats without ever raising their sensitive hackles. Do you think, he asked, as if the idea had just come to him, you'd like me to come with you and show you the track? Before I could ruthfully concede the point, my wife bounced up and started chirping at Bentley about some track corner, headwig something, this and foosh... Rohre, I think. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not fluent with German names. That. I'm doing great, she beamed. I passed somebody, and I hardly got past at all. How's it going for you? 
Just for the sake of my story, I graciously, graciously allowed, I'm going to let Ross ride along with me. Out on the course, just as I was yielding for some GTR driver who came barreling out of nowhere with what seemed like SR71's worth of momentum, he said, you know, you can go absolutely flat from this 11-kilometer sign, from this 11-kilometer sign here all the way to after the 13-kilometer sign. This was ridiculous advice. I knew from my own laps that there were at least three places in the stretch that required major braking. It's his funeral, I thought, as I buried the Avor's throttle all the way to its lightweight, short-pile carpet. Two minutes later, the GTR was broad-beamed was broad -beamed in my windshield and, and Bentley was visibly chuckling behind his helmet visor. A lap later, I finally caught and passed Danger Girl as Hermagan lifted the inside rear wheel through the sharp left-hander at the beginning of the Edenur Forced. It didn't count. I might have brought a gun to a knife fight, but without some help from Bentley, I was effectively shooting myself in the foot. Meanwhile, some of my fellow drivers were reaping the rewards of their preparation. Easier than the simulator, simulator gloated Lewis, the GT3 RS driving financial executive. I did several laps in a row way under eight, minute, way under eight minutes a lap. Former IMSA racer Cone was more reserved. Trail braking does not work in most of the corners, and more dramatic braking pressures are required. How would I describe the track? I say, think of the old road Atlanta, Bridgehampton, Watkins Glen, and Mosport. Then, he smiled, multiply by 40. Paul Friedman, a gregarious but conversationally precise medical director who alternated among a BMW M3 and two M235Is on track, laid in some quick laps but chided himself for lack of preparation. Should have gotten a high-end simulator. I think I'll do that before next time. At lunch, Bentley and Simmons sat down with my wife and another driver, Matt Gaworski, to, de to debrief their laps and help them find time. Gaworski is an orthodontist who exchanged a sport bike track day habit for a highly curated Porsche collection and a laser-like focus on excelling at the ring. Bentley and Simmons worked both sides of a laminated Norschleife map, answering rapid-fire questions from, da from Danger Girl and Gaworski, two different but complementary styles at work. It was like watching a well-rehearsed rock band. Simmons was the rhythm player, offering pithy pinpoint pattern on car placement, eye position, and available traction from the exit curves. Bentley was the lead guitarist, ex guitarist, expanding Simmons' advice to include comments on mindset and hand-eye coordination. Simmons could tell you how, Bentley could tell you why. It's kind of scary how Ron and I think alike, Bentley had told me earlier that morning. It's a bit like finding out there was someone on the other side of the world, almost literally, who is the same as you. Many times, he and I will talk about the same things and describe driving in the same way. Not surprisingly, the tag team instruction was working wonders. This is my second time here with Ross, Gawaski told me later. My goal was to get under 9 minutes. I did that early in the game. I'm off the hook, but I'm going to drive a really clean lap. That's the goal. In the afternoon, I followed Lewis around the track, matching my Avora against his GT3 RS. By piggybacking on his track knowledge, I was able to sneak under that 8 minute that eight minute mark, but it felt more like his accomplishment than mine. So for the rest of the afternoon for the rest of the afternoon and for the morning that followed, I sought I sought out and received coaching from any from anybody who was willing to give it. Bentley, Simmons, two of his instructors, and a Bulgarian Lotus fanatic with inch perfect knowledge of the track, who didn't flinch when I came within a foot of the armco at the exit of Flansgarten. At lunch I reviewed some video and saw that I'd done a lap from the standing pit exit and coming to a halt at the end of the pit entrance in just a hair over eight and a half minutes. The seven-something minute flying lap was within my reach if I threw caution to the wind and pushed as hard as I could. Instead, I parked the car and walked away. It was time to quit.
I learned just enough to know what I didn't know, namely, the arcane awareness of surface and curb acquired by Simmons on those long evenings 30 years ago. Until I came back and truly devoted myself to obtaining that awareness, I'd be playing Russian roulette every time I truly pushed the car. To be honest, I don't know if I'll bother. I'm not the kind of guy who climbs Mount Everest just because it's there. I want to race head-to-head -head against other people, and I don't care if it's at Laguna Seca or at a ragged old, ragged old cart track. I understand and respect the determination that leads people to put in a thousand hours in search of the absolutely perfect Norse lap, but I don't share it. Cohen agreed. I wouldn't want to race here. The safety, track layout, it doesn't measure up to modern standards. Lewis, on the other hand, had already booked another trip with RSR. The addiction has taken over, he laughed. Later, later that night at dinner, as Simmons lectured the group on the superiority of German wine, I caught Bentley taking a, moment, taking a moment for himself in a remote corner of the restaurant. It went pretty well, he admitted. No serious damage to any of the cars, and I think everybody learned quite a bit. But there's always something we could do better. I'm already thinking about next year. As was Danger Girl. She's fallen in love, much the way Simmons must have all those years ago. As we walked back into the hotel room, walked back into the hotel room M. Tiergarten, she pointed out a poster that read, Save the Ring. It's been a tough few years for the track, courtesy of ownership changes and some aggressive, debt-driven plans to turn it into a sort of amusement park. She frowned and her body language became agitated. What if the ring closes before I have the chance to, and it was a bunch of bur bur Bergwork this and Whipperman that? She needn't worry. One day in the far-flung future, all the racetracks will probably close. But the ring will be the last one to go. It will stick around long after the Miata stops circling mid-Ohio, long after stock cars go silent in Tennessee. Because it's more than just a track. It's a personal challenge, a lifetime obsession. The Norseleifla is truly the ultimate track, the last track. And when it's finally time to close, don't be surprised if that last lap, the last drive, takes place in an old Alfa Romeo in the evening's last light with Simmons behind the wheel. What a great article. I think I've read it once before, but God, it was so good to read again. I'm obsessed. Personally, I'm obsessed with the Nürburgring. It's more often than not, it's the first, if not, if it's not the first, it's the second track I go to in a set of Corsa. I get my Viper and I just start pounding out laps over and over and over again. I just find it such a door, such a joy. I love how long the track is, how many corners there are. And honestly, there's very few bad corners on the track. I really think it's a, it's a marvel of track rhythm. I adore the Norschleife. I really don't like the GP track that much, but the Norschleife, I find brilliant. I love that track so, so much. Again, I've I pound out... Maybe I have... I, I know I've got at least 50 laps in a settle at the Nürburgring. Because I did a 10-lap stint sometime last year. But again, I just... I love the length of that track. It really is... It's a roller coaster. It, you know, I, I like Laguna Seca. I do. I like Laguna Seca. I like uh, Road America. I like a lot of the tracks that we have here in America. But the thing, after having driven the Nurburgring so much, the thing that bothers me is that the laps are so short. And there's just not enough fun corners. There's not enough track to enjoy. The lap's kind of over before you know it. But the Nurburgring, it's it's a green hell. You're just going, you're corner after corner after corner. There's no rest, but you're you're on it. It's such a brilliant track. I love the Nurburgring, and I love this article. It just it shows you just how difficult, how dedicated, how much of a specialist you have to be to be in, in, in order to be a god at the track, in order to have a ridiculously quick lap time.
And I love it for that. I love the Nurburgring as a challenge. I really love it as a track, too. It's, it's so much fun. It, it can get frustrating, but when you string together that near-perfect lap, whoo, there's, it's so rewarding. I love the Nurburgring so much, and I still want to drive it. And you better believe there will be a video on my YouTube channel and probably a podcast episode of me having done the Nurburgring. I will do it. And God knows I wish we had an equivalent track here in the U.S. I really, really do because it'd be fantastic. It would be a fantastic track. But anyway, though, I hope you all enjoyed that episode. If you did, hey, let me know what you think of the Nurburgring down below in the comment section. But for now... Like the episode, share the episode, and follow the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, then please like, comment, share, and consider subscribing. And if you do subscribe, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Please make sure to hit the little notification bell so you're notified every time I upload. If you want to watch this podcast on the road, but you don't have a want the pod being mobile app, or listen to this podcast on the road, but don't have a want the pod being mobile app, it's not an issue. Before you set off, type in Cody's Car Conundrum wherever you get your podcast, and then choose the episode you want to listen to. I'll see you all next time. You've just listened to me probably ramble about some cars, if I'm being honest. If you've enjoyed me passionately talking about lumps of metal on wheels, then why don't you follow me on Twitter at Cody Carr, C-O-N-U-N-D-R-M, or check out my website, www.codyscarconundrum.com, for articles and other car-related content. If you have any questions or would like to become a sponsor, send an email to drtaffy777 at gmail.com and put sponsor in the subject line. Make sure to follow me here or any other platform so you don't miss out on more full throttle content. Thanks for listening. I'll see you all in the next episode.